everyone, welcome to the To See or Not To See podcast, the podcast that uncovers the rarely discussed hidden meanings of culturally impactful films, books, and other inspiring works. I am your host, Grace Curley, and today I will be discussing the film Whiplash, directed by Damien Chazelle, which has won the Best Supporting Actor Award at the 2015 Oscars, holding multiple nominations. It is about an ambitious young man, Andrew, played by Miles Teller, who enrolls in a music conservatory to become a drummer, but he is mentored by Terence Fletcher, played by J.K. Simmons, whose unconventional and brutal training methods push him beyond the boundaries of identity, reason, and sensibility. The reason I'm discussing this film is because it is strangely subject to a lot of misinterpretation. One of the biggest misinterpretations I've seen is that it is a film about jazz and that it gets jazz all wrong. Today in this episode I will be discussing why Whiplash, while being centered around a jazz drummer's evolution, is simply not about jazz. For those who have seen it, I will mainly be touching on the iconic finale scene of the film where Andrew embarks on a five-minute drum solo and the implications of Andrew's liberation, identity, and his will to power. Hope you enjoy it. So the biggest question you ask yourself when watching this film is, was Terence Fletcher's methods wrong or right? Bad or good? Was he a good person or a bad person? But the fact of the matter is that nobody is inherently good or bad. Nobody is a good person or a bad person. Everybody is right in their own eyes. In Fletcher's eyes, he was completely in the right. His intentions were good and clear. He wanted to make a legend, like Charlie Parker, and he knew legends only grew from breaking past their expectations of themselves. So his job was to shatter their egos, push them past their own breaking points, to see if their willpower was strong enough, to see if they could become one with the music and with the tempo, with him. So would Andrew have become a legend if Fletcher hadn't done what he did? Probably not. But does that make Fletcher's motives reasonable? Also no. Fletcher was a crazy, abusive, violent tyrant. He had done exactly what he did to Andrew to another student, and that student ended up committing suicide. So there is an example of the same method used on two different people. One could handle it, and one couldn't. But to say that Andrew could handle it is a rather cheap thing to say. It wasn't about handling it. It wasn't about being correct. It was about his willpower being stronger than anything else. Stronger than Fletcher's abuse, his approval, Andrew's broken body, his bloody hands, his ego, his insomnia, his family's approval, the audience, the scouts, and the truck that hit him. This kind of willpower is not the will that we think originates from the mind. This is a will that is fountained from the soul, and that is the only way it can withstand so much. Andrew knew what he wanted, and he knew what he had to do to get there. He knew in his body, his heart and soul, that he was to become the next jazz legend. And a legend doesn't get discouraged, because that's who they are. They are the music, and nothing can take that away from them. That was what Fletcher was trying to prove. In the iconic final scene, Fletcher throws the last hurdle to Andrew by giving him wrong sheet music and forcing him to stumble through improvising a piece he doesn't know. 
When Andrew is kicked off stage, his father hugs him and says, let's go home. Nobody is expecting him to return. He had just gotten publicly humiliated. But Andrew turns back around. He strides onto the stage and takes his seat, takes up his drumsticks, and before Fletcher can even finish his sentence, he begins playing Caravan without sheet music. He plays recklessly, confusing his bandmates, the audience, and Fletcher. When Fletcher asks him what he's trying to do, Andrew just keeps playing and tells his abusive band leader that he'll cue him in. This line alone signifies that Andrew is finally taking initiative, that he is in charge of himself as a musician and as a person, and he will dictate his own destiny. Thus, this line is one of empowerment and self-assurance. Fletcher shows rage at this, but he can only cover it up as they are on stage in front of everybody. But at this point, Andrew is already in a trance. This isn't about proving himself to anyone anymore. This isn't about Fletcher, or the audience, or the scouts, or his family, or proving himself to any one of them. This is about him and his music. Andrew plays Caravan in a trance-like state of passion. When the rest of the band finishes the song, he keeps on playing. He does a full drum solo, fully improvised. And this is where his body is overcome with something bigger than himself. As shown in the directorial choices, everything slows down, and he can no longer hear the beats of the drum, or Fletcher's voice, or his own breaths. He becomes one with the music, and as he becomes one with the music, Fletcher becomes one with him. Andrew becomes Fletcher, and Fletcher becomes Andrew, and they become the music, and the band and the audience become the music, until everyone is vibrating at the same frequency in a single unit of symbiosis. When it cuts to Fletcher's face for the first time in the film, you see him at utter peace and fulfillment, because he has finally found what he has spent his entire career trying to find, a legend to transcend what it means to play jazz. Earlier in the movie, in the bar, there is lots of foreshadowing. Fletcher tells Andrew of the story of the legend Charlie Parker and how he would never have become Charlie Parker without Joe Jones throwing a symbol at him. He tells him that the most harmful words in the English language is good job. That if Joe Jones had told Charlie, that's alright, good job, Charlie would have thought, yeah, I did do a pretty good job, and he would have ended there. He wouldn't have gone home in tears of humiliation and the next day practiced like nothing before. He wouldn't have pushed himself to the breaking point so he would never be laughed off the stage again. He wouldn't have become Charlie Parker. Fletcher also says that his whole purpose was to find a Charlie Parker or to make one. He says that he hasn't ever made one yet or found one, but that he really fucking tries. And that's more than anyone else can say. These powerful statements set the tone for the final crescendo. As Andrew watches him in silence in that scene, there is a resolute spark in his eye that tells the audience that he has made up his mind. He is going to be that person. And after not only jumping, but obliterating the last hurdle Fletcher threw at him, these statements are reiterated in the final triumphant scene. 
it shows Andrew is that Charlie Parker. It shows that he finally gets it. He understands. The directing choices in this scene are interesting because while it is a long piece he performs, the director doesn't once cut to the reaction of the audience. They may as well be invisible. They rarely cut to the faces of the band members and only once to his dad. And I believe that the director made these choices to symbolize that it was not about any of them anymore. It was about Andrew. And in a way, it was about Fletcher. But not in the way the rest of the movie had been. Fletcher had been living in Andrew's mind since the beginning. He had been the voice in his head, the demon on his shoulder, and the one to break him down so that he could be better. Andrew has craved Fletcher's approval for the entire film. But in this moment, he lets that all go. He doesn't have anything more to lose. He doesn't need Fletcher or his approval anymore. He doesn't need the approval of the audience or even the scouts that they are performing to impress. Everyone and everything fades out. He is in control. And not just in his mind, but in his soul. And that is when a legend is born. The minute he becomes the music, Fletcher becomes the music. They become integrated as one whole unit. They transcend in perfect harmony together. This is what Fletcher has been looking for his entire career. This is what Andrew has been striving for without realizing. And as soon as this happens, Andrew is free. And he realizes this as he looks at the triumph in Fletcher's expression. And Andrew receives that which he has been striving for this whole film. That look on Fletcher's face. But this time, he doesn't need it. He didn't even want it. But he has it now. Because the minute he became the music for himself, he released Fletcher to do the same. The film ends suddenly with Andrew queuing in the band to play Whiplash. The film cuts there before they can even start to play. So while the viewers may feel at loss of this abrupt ending, this lack of closure, I believe that that is its intention. If the film had ended with the audience standing up and cheering, or a scout giving Andrew an offer, or even a conversation of mutual respect between Andrew and Fletcher, the film would not have the same impact. It ends in suspension and anticipation because it is not about closure. I repeat, even perceiving the audience's reaction or the outcome of his performance would take away from Andrew and the power he has taken back. It is not about anyone else. If Fletcher and Andrew were to converse afterwards, it would have felt cheap and undeserving and unfulfilling because they have already communicated in the highest degree through music, through frequency, through integration. They do not need words and words would simply cheapen it. They have communicated more through this musical arrangement than any words could ever achieve. And by this analysis, I am in no way condoning or agreeing with Fletcher's character or methods. The audience spends the entire film wincing in shock at Fletcher's tactics, despite his claims that his abuse is in the name of making Andrew a great jazz artist. His hypocrisy is also apparent. In the final concert scene, Fletcher is not trying to get Andrew to rise to his challenge. He just wants to humiliate him because Andrew had gotten him fired. When Andrew shakes off the nightmare of being given the wrong music and playing out of sync with the entire band, it surprises Fletcher as much as anyone. So Fletcher is not some Yoda-like mentor who hides his true purpose under the guise of harshness. He's not Mr. Miyagi. He doesn't even pretend to be, and we should not think of him as such. 
His character is not one to be admired or emulated, although some parts of his values may, you know, warrant objective respect. He is not the anti-hero that the audience sympathises with by the end of the film. He is, as he does not pretend to be anything else, an abusive, sociopathic void of a man. But, as I reiterate, this film is not about Fletcher. This film is about Fletcher's impact on Andrew, our protagonist. It is a study in the breaking of one's own limits, far beyond your own imagination, and the breaking of one's ego and the willpower to rise from that disintegration. Fletcher's character is simply a means to challenge our protagonist to reveal the true meaning of the film. Now, some viewers deem this movie too violent, in that the scenes of the abuse are too harsh, and I've seen some reviews that say that it gets jazz all wrong. And now, um, although I'm not a jazz artist, I will disagree firstly by saying that this movie plainly is not about jazz. It's simply not even about jazz. Jazz is just a vehicle, a means to an end to, you know, propel the true meaning of this film. It is not a story about jazz. It is about the strength of the spirit and the will. Those visceral violent scenes are necessary. It not only shows Andrew's growth as a character of overcoming the shitload of pain and suffering, mentally, emotionally, and physically, but it also makes the triumph greater and sweeter. This is the crux of the character development Andrew goes through. The triumphant finale would not have been so visceral and poignant and all-encompassing and intense if the raw ugliness and the violence of Fletcher's abuse wasn't providing that sheer contrast and opposition. It symbolises the parting of the clouds, the deep breath of air after the flood, the fruit of the labour. This film is a study in will, and how it has the power to overcome anything. The will that trickles down from the soul. At the end of the day, you are the one in control. You are the one making the choices. You are the only one who can decide your own destiny, and nothing that anybody does or say can change that. That there are no more powerful words in the English language than I will it. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of To See or Not To See. This is brought to you by your host, Grace Curley. What did you see or not see? That is the question. Until next time.